those of the Bible or those who want to follow on the screen, we're going to be in Mark 15. And before I share this message today, I was, you know, praying with this message this week, and I felt like, I was like, okay, God, do you want me to teach on this? And he said, I want you to do a lot more than, I want to do a lot more than just teach on this. I want to empower the people. I want to equip the people with the word of God. So when I'm sharing this today, it isn't just a, that was a nice teaching. This, hold on a minute. This is too cute. This is awesome. Praise God. God bless you guys. Amen. Children are a blessing from the Lord, inheritance from the Lord. They are. Thank you, Jesus, for all the children we have here this morning. Um, but I'll say it again. I was praying this week about, do you want me to share on this t- traditional Easter sermon or whatever? And he's like, I want you to do more than just teach on it. I want to empower the people. I want to equip the people through the word of God. So I want you to have your hearts open to receive because there's things I might say today that you might not have heard before. You might have heard it differently where the church you go to or you've been before if you're a guest today. But I want you to judge it not by because I said it, because I'm standing up here with the mic, but judge it what does the word of God say. It is the final authority in our lives. If we want to be free indeed, we have to make the word of God the final authority in our life, not religion. Not some guy with four PhDs that doesn't even believe that Jesus walked on water. They're not, his PhDs are useless to me. I, mean, I don't care what he thinks he knows. He doesn't even believe a basic thing that Jesus walked on water. Then how's he going to believe he made water? I don't know. So anyway, we're going to believe the word of God. Amen? Amen. We're a house of faith. We're going to believe what the word says. So we're looking at Mark 15. Starting at verse 15. So Pilate wanted to gratify the crowd. There's his first problem. Released Barabbas to them. And delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews, whatever their salute was back then. They're absolutely, completely mocking him so much. Hail, King of the Jews, verse 19. Then they struck him on the head with a reed, and they spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him, mockingly, of course. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple purple off of him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to be crucified him. If you've ever gone through something shameful or painful, I want you to know Jesus has gone through it too. Not for himself, but for me and for you. Verse 21, then... Then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. And uh, with him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, you, uh, you save others. Come down and save yourself. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. 
Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reveled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. It's a total solar eclipse going on. Right at this exact moment. While Jesus was becoming sin who knew no sin. All our judgment, all of our sin, all of our punishment was coming on him, finishing at this, this three-hour period. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why he was, for, he was forsaken? So we could be accepted in the beloved. Some of those stood by when they heard him say this. I guess they didn't know one of the languages Jesus was speaking. Said, look, he's calling to Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it for him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come down and come and take him down. Jesus wasn't trying to come down, guys. He, he, wanted, he could have called 10,000 angels. He wasn't trying to come down. He was trying to humble himself and die for you and for me. Amen. They, didn't, they totally didn't understand. Verse 37, and Jesus breathed with a loud voice, cried out in a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Even in his death, he caused someone else to believe in him by the, by the gracious way that he even died and suffered. It's amazing. Now let's look at the resurrection in Luke 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the, the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shiny garments. These are not men, if you don't know. These would be angels. Uh, they looked like men. Then, as they were afraid and uh, bowed their faces to the earth, they said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. I love that line. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he spoke when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. For some reason, they couldn't understand that, but they did now. And he was risen, and he's risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, this resurrection of Jesus was actually a physical resurrection. Although he was spiritually resurrected, he was physically resurrected. He came in the flesh. And the reason why I have to say this and clarify this, because there's many out there that don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. They're like he was a phantom spirit, or he didn't really feel this pain, didn't feel that, because it's impossible that God could die, and some of these kind of things. They start thinking like that, and so they come up with these ideas. But the Bible clearly says that if you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, you can't be saved. Now, I'll show you Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. In 1 John 4, 2 and 3, But this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now already in the world. So we must believe that Jesus came in the flesh in order for us to actually become born again. He died in his flesh so you could be resurrected from the dead in your flesh. In your flesh, okay? 
All right, so Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, again, it changed everything. So we're going to look at three things today, three things that the resurrection of Christ did for you that you may or may not know. And there's a lot more than three, okay? We could do this for, for days and days. There's a lot more than three. We're going to look at three today. The, excuse me, the first thing is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. It says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So, if Christ is not risen, your faith's foolishness, it means nothing, and we're still in our sins. Now, I'm trying to stay in my notes here, because you guys know I have a, a soapbox on this thing really bad sometimes. I can get on this topic of what's taught in churches, but this is kindergarten Christianity 101 right here. And most of the church doesn't even know it. Was Christ risen from the dead? Yes. Then what does this verse imply? Come on. Anyway, you, you guys read it. What does that imply? Well, thank you, Dave and Mark. When you guys both say it, that we're not in our sins anymore. We're not in our sins anymore. But every Sunday and every Easter and everything they're going to talk about sin is to talk about Jesus and what he did. It says right here, if he wasn't risen then we're still in our sins. But since he was risen, we're not in our sins anymore. You're not in sin anymore, okay? You're not there. Now, I know you've been told differently, this is the part I was saying, that you need to stick with me and believe what the Word of God says and not necessarily what you've been told. Because when you go to church every Sunday and all they want to talk about is sin, they haven't met the person in a special way that's delivered them from the powers of darkness, set them free into the power to live in a victorious life in Christ. You have to meet him. There's religious Jesus out there. There's a lot of different Jesus out there that are being taught. Jesus said many of them were going to come in my name claiming to be whatever. And they're not just in the physical. They're in the spiritual realm. And people will tell you this is what Jesus is like when it's not like him at all. Okay? I want to show you this. i got this illustration I brought here. I might need your help, Vanna White, to help me with this, Holly Ann. So uh, is this holding this pulpit? But uh, i got two, two mason jars here with water in it. Try to make this one black. You can probably see it turn green on me, but, but anyway, it's supposed to be black. These two mason jars here with water in them, one represents, the clear one represents our, our new life that we have in Christ. Our new, we don't, there's no sin in there. We're now living, our life is now hidden in Christ, okay? The other one, the dark one, represents the old sinful life. I like you doing this. This is actually much helpful, very helpful to me. Uh, the dark one represents our old sinful life, our old, uh, in the old kingdom of darkness in that we lived in. We lived here, but now we don't live here anymore. We live over here. We live in Christ. Our life is now hidden in Christ. Paul said, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I need to live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live in this, but yet we want to talk about this all the time. And it's a mistake. It's a huge mistake, and it's killing the church. It's killing the believer, not knowing that they're dead to sin. They're now alive to Christ, alive to live supernaturally in him. Amen. So in the kingdom of darkness, let me tell you what lives in there. Fear lives in there. Hate lives in there. Jealousy lives in there. Envy, strife. You know, the Bible says if you have strife in your house, there'll be every evil practice in your home, in your life. Just saying. So watch how you talk in your house. Maybe set the atmosphere in a godly way. Strife, selfishness is there. Adultery, fornication, sorcery, it's in here. Fault-finding, criticalness, 
dissensions, discord, bitterness, unforgiveness, all those things live in the kingdom of darkness. None of those things are in heaven. None of those things are in Jesus. None of those things are in your Savior. Your life is in him. Your life is not in here. Your life is in him. You're dead to those things now. You're dead to those things. Addictions live in here. Sickness lives in here. Diseases live in there. Demons are there. That's not where you live anymore. That's not your uh, zip code anymore. Okay? Anything connected to the kingdom of darkness lives in there. It's called the kingdom of chaos. It's the kingdom of chaos. It wants your life to be filled with chaos. And if you never know the truth, because if you know the truth, you'll get set free. But as long as you live in this confusion, like you might be this way, you might be that way, you might live in sin, you might not live in sin, you might have a dual nature thing and all this kind of stuff that theologians teach and they haven't even known the gospel truth, that this is why Jesus came to set us free from this and put us into this, a newness of life in him. Sin is dead. It's dead. He killed it. He crucified it on the cross with him, took it to hell with him, left it there. Sin is dead. And we magnify it like it's God. It's not God. It has no dominion over you. If you're not under law, you're under grace. Has no power over you. 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 No power over you. You don't have to sin. You sin because you want to. You sin because maybe a pastor told you you're going to sin every day. In mind, thought, and deed. Let me tell you this awful story Holly's dad told me a couple of days ago. He was talking to a friend of his, and he, good Christian friend, far as he knew, and then uh, he noticed his lifestyle was not so great, and he's like, well, you're a Christian, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, why are you still going to those nasty places? You're going to the strip bars and stuff like that, and all these kind of evil places. Why are you doing that? He goes, well, my pastor said I'm going to sin every day, and my thought, indeed, I might as well, might as well do it anyway. I can't stop myself. I can't, I can't help it. I might as well just enjoy it. Does that sound like something that Jesus would have preached on this earth? Come on, guys. If, you, if you've gone to church, like, get out as fast as you can. Get out as fast as you can, because that's religion. And it kills. It kills you. The, spirit, the letter of the law kills. The spirit gives life. He came to set you free from the powers of darkness. You don't have to be bound in addictions to pornography. You have to be bound in addictions to anything, anything, anything. Drugs, alcohol. You don't have to be bound to anything because Christ was crucified for you and he raised you up to newness of life to live in him. In him, in him, not in this mess. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this. I might need you again in a minute, but I'll call you back in a second. But Colossians 1, 13, 14 says this. He has delivered us. From the power of darkness, the mastery of darkness, and conveyed us, or translated us, or teleported us, or beamed me up, Scotty, if you're a Star Trek fan. What do you want to say? He moved you spiritually from one place to live in another place. In a second, in a micro, in a nanosecond, nanosecond. In the kingdom of the Son of His love, where is that? In Him, in Jesus in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. You don't live in sin anymore, and he delivered you from it, and he's forgiven you from it, and now you live in Christ. That's where you live. That's your your address now. We're seated with him in heavenly places. We're not like, oh, I hope I get over this temptation. No, No, it's dead. It's dead. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, alive to live supernatural. When you're tempted by something, you can say, no, I'm dead to that. I don't, I don't live there anymore. I'm living in Christ. I'm dead to that. No, I'm dead. To, I am dead to that. I am dead to this pornography. I am dead to gossip. I am dead to slander. I'm dead to bitterness. I'm dead to whatever. I'm alive to, in Christ to live supernaturally like him. 
He wants our lives to look like him, does he not? Then we got to count ourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ. Because that's what he did. That's what he did. So in the other bottle, uh, there's a lot of good things in there. The clear one. I can try to hold it, or you can hold it if you want to. Yeah, you can hold it. Um, the clear jar again represents the kingdom of Jesus. There's a lot of good things in there. And a lot of good stuff is in you. Uh, how about this? There's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in there. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's, the pow- there's power, love, and a sound mind in there. How's that for mental illness? And I'm not picking on it. I'm just saying there's power, love, and sound mind in him. That's what he said. Uh, there's the fruit of the Spirit. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in him. It's in him. We don't always tune in to him sometimes. We sometimes tune into our old ways or whatever, but uh, it's in him. There's the gifts of the Spirit in him. There's provision in him, forgiveness of sins in him. There's healing. It's in the kingdom. It's the, the Spirit of God lives there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit lives there, and he's alive in you. It's that mystery Paul was talking about. It's Christ in us, now the hope of glory. We live in him. He lives in us. That's the kingdom. You know, some people get off on this kingdom now teaching and they get all upset because people talk kingdom now but did it not just read right there that we have been so i mean i know there is some kingdom now it's now and not yet there's some still more to come but there's still some kingdom right now because he's in us amen so point number one is because the rest of jesus christ we are not in our sins anymore and he did that he did that You can fast, pray all you want, and you can't make it stop. You can't make whatever. You can't fix yourself. Because if you could have, Christ died in vain. But he already did it for you. And you count it dead to sin. You count yourself alive to Christ. You can beat and destroy any temptation you'll ever face in your lifetime. No temptation seeds you except what's common to man. God will always give you a way to escape. Always, amen? That's what he said. So the second point I want to show you is that it's important that we know that Jesus' resurrection wasn't the only resurrection that happened that day. All right, Jesus' resurrection was not the only one that happened that day. Let me show you this in this strange portion of Scripture found in Matthew 27. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, the rocks split, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, they were dead, were raised. And coming out of the graves after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Okay, now that's in the Bible. It's only in Matthew, and I wish there was, I try to look up commentaries on it. Uh, no one t- even tries to touch it that I could find. Um, I looked up Josephus' uh, history of the Pat. He didn't mention it. We don't know what happened here, but we do know there was a bunch of people that were dead and all of a sudden, they came back to life. We don't know how many a many is, like many is. We don't know if that means five. We don't know if that means 500 or 200 or 300. We don't know. But there was many. There was a bunch of them that were dead with a big stone rolled in front of them. And then someone removed the stone of the way. Maybe the angels kept going after they took care of Jesus' stone. They just kept going and rolling away some more. I don't know. Or they walked through it. We don't know if they were resurrected in a natural body or a glorified body. We don't know if they lived a long time after that or if they lived a short time after that. We don't, we don't really know a lot about that story. But we do know they were dead and they came back to life when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 
It was the same power that hit Jesus, hit the, these other people. They came back to life. Now, you imagine you're at home one day, you're just doing the dishes, you're home, and your mother's been dead for like five years, right? And you're just like doing the dishes, and you're washing, and oh, you're like, the dog's barking or something. What's the dog barking at? And next thing you hear this knock on the door, and it's your mother there at the door. You hadn't seen in five years. What in the world? What are you doing here? I thought you were dead. I was dead, but guess what? Jesus came back to life, and he made me back alive. I don't know what happened. Like, all this flesh and blood just came back on me. Bones came back together, whatever's going on about this supernatural in a second came back to life such power such power you imagine you freak out you probably pass out i'm having a dream i'm having something's wrong with me i need to go see the doctor there's no way you're here i was at your funeral that was five years ago what are you doing here well let me tell you jesus christ when his life came back into him it resurrected me too it resurrected me too i'm telling you there's a reason this is in the bible and uh, I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, I believe these people went back into Jerusalem. They said the holy city went back into Jerusalem. And people were asking them like this, because you would naturally, it would be a natural question to say, what the heck are you doing here? And like, how, how are you here? I was there. Like, what are you doing? You've been, because after four days, they said about Lazarus, you know, he was already stinky. And they, they've been dead for a while. So anyway, what are you doing here? And they'd have to ask, well, guess what? When Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, I was resurrected with him. And it was a testament of Jesus, a testament of his, his being resurrected from the dead. And 200, 300, 500, 510, whatever it was, a number, went through all Jerusalem telling everybody that Jesus is alive. The second reason I believe this is in the Bible is because it's, it's for us to know that his resurrection was not the only resurrection that happened that day. According to the word of God, we were resurrected. We were raised from the dead. Amen? So let me show you this. We're going to go into uh, point number three there. The second one was... Second point was that um, he was not the only resurrection. We were also resurrected. Um, let me read these verses to you. Ephesians 2.1. And he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.4-6. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I mean, at the same time, with him, together with him, by grace are you saved and raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I got a feeling that Jesus wants to be together with us. Do you see it there three times? Made alive together, raised up together, and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. I think he might like you more than you realize. Amen? He does. So Jesus' resurrection wasn't the only one. We were raised from the dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead. And he made us alive together with him, raised us up. When he was raised up, we were raised up. When he was resurrected, we were resurrected. When he was seated at the right hand of the Father, we were seated there with him. We are, our life is hidden in Christ right now. Not in a sweet by and by when we all get to heaven. That's not what it says. It has been. It's already done. It's already happened. Far above all principalities and powers and rulers and authorities, we are seated there with him in the spiritual places and heavenly realms right now. Like, what does that mean for me? That the Bible says, set your mind on heavenly things, not earthly things. Fix your minds on things above, not earthly things. When we fix our mind on earthly things, we're going to get stressed and anxious and a bunch of things. We think about Jesus. It's going to help us a lot. So I'm going to go on here. Um, so point one, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're not in our sins anymore. Number two, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have been resurrected from the dead. 
and, re- and his resurrection was our resurrection. You might not have known this, but when this happened, it happened the moment you were born again. You were dead, walking, like one of the songs talk about walking around but didn't know you were dead, but he made us alive in him. And point three is because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have been given a new nature, given a new nature. Now this part is, uh, is part that has been debated by people, but again, I'm going to go back to they're preaching their experience, not preaching the word. Okay, the word of God clearly teaches us. Colossians 2.13 says this, And you, being dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So we were dead in trespass and sin, but we were also dead, it says, in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Okay, circumcision is something people like to talk about much in Sunday school, in junior church or church. It's going to be an awkward conversation sometime. But circumcision in the Old Testament was the cutting away of the flesh as a covenant that Abraham had with God and the Israelites had with God, showing that they were God's chosen people, God's children. They are part of the family of God. Circumcision was a, co- a connection. The connection with circumcision was a covenant. It was, you had a covenant. And anytime you see the word uncircumcision in the Bible, it's referring to people that were unholy, unclean. It referred to Gentiles, unbelievers, and people that didn't have a covenant. The interesting thing is Paul said this to Jews and Gentiles alike at the same time in this verse, which has been very confusing for Jews because they're like, hey, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, just like Jesus was. What is he talking about? Obviously, he's not talking about a physical circumcision here. But there was something that was cut away uh, from us that's not there anymore. Okay, let's go on to see what it says here. Oh, let me, let me say this first. Um, God's desire was all, has always been Old Testament and New Testament for more than just a, some physical circumcision to make these people marked as children of God. He talked many times Old New Testament about how he really wanted to circumcise their hearts. I want to show you this. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Jeremiah 9, 26. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in, are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in their hearts. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. That's a prophecy to me. He's some of the future day that God is going to circumcise your hearts so you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you may live. You may live. Meaning what? They were dead. They didn't even know it. They were spiritually dead. Acts seven fifty one. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And last one of this, Romans 2, 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. God's desire has always been to circumcise our hearts, not just the man. Circumcise our hearts. He wanted something to change, be cut out of our hearts that was going to change something so that we could live. Okay, so we could really live. Look at what he says in Colossians 2.11. In him, you were also circumcised. There it is. 
Right there. With a circumcision made without hands. I mean, it wasn't a human being that did this. By the putting off the body of sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. Christ cut something out of you and threw it away. This is a picture of the, the, the uh, foreskin, the whole circumcision thing of the Old Testament. It was all a type and shadow picture pointing to this cutting away that's going to happen in the New Testament. Where it's cutting away something out of our hearts and disposing it just like it was you dispose of a male foreskin after you cut it off. No one keeps that in their little scrapbook. Right? You throw it away. And sometimes in church, we kept that thing in a little scrapbook, like we needed to keep this thing around, like this sin was a pet or something, not realizing that it was circumcised out of our hearts by the hand of God, not from the hands of man. And we don't have to live in that mess anymore. We don't have to keep that little scrapbook around anymore, how, what we used to be like. I think we need to have it for a good testimony or something. You want to know a testimony? Have a testimony of Jesus. He's raised from the dead, lives in you now. Amen? In him, you also were circumcised. Every one of us, you're in Christ. With a circumcision made without hands, by the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. He did something you could never do for yourself. And he cut that nasty, sinful, like that bottle, all that stuff out of your heart. He cut it out. You say, oh, Pastor, you don't understand me. I was born that way. But guess what? If you're born again, you're not born that way anymore. You're born again now. You got a new nature. He cut that junk out of you. He took it out of you and he threw it, left it in hell when he was down there for a few days, left it there, was resurrected from the dead, raised us up to newness of life so we don't have to walk in this anymore. We can walk in Christ. Amen. It's the power of God under salvation. It's the gospel, the power of God unto your salvation. Unto. Any, there is no hopeless situation in your life that, oh, you just don't understand me. It's my chemistry. It's my biology. It's my whatever. No, it's not. You need to know who you are in Christ. I'm not saying you don't need a physical touch or physical healing. Maybe you do. God could do that too. That's all in Christ. That's all that stuff's in him. Amen. So uh, obviously this is referring to our spiritual circumcision. Okay. And Jesus did that for us. It's a finished work. It already happened. You know, you can go to the altar a thousand times asking for God to consecrate you, asking for God to do this and whatever entirely sanctify you or whatever verbiage that you use. But I'm pretty sure if he cut out the junk already, circumcised it, threw it away, dumped it, that maybe you're better off than you already knew that you were. We spent so much time at the altar crying. Why don't we go to the altar and confess what he said is true about us? That's what the word says works, one six. You confess what, what, what I've already done for you, you're going to walk in newness of life. You're going to be free. Confess what I've done. Confess what I've done. Say it. Believe it. Yes. Amen. So what does this mean? It means the desires, the sinful desires of our hearts and our sinful nature have been cut away, circumcised, cut out of your spirit, man, disposed of, just like the foreskin was disposed of, and then he put a brand new spirit on the inside of you called Christ, a new spirit on the inside of you, made you alive to live with him, alive to live with him, and now in him you live and you move and you have your being. In him, you don't live and move through the demonic realm or the, the devil's realm. He's, he's defeated. He's disarmed. He's totally taken care of. God took him out of the way and, uh, and took all that stuff away and made a public spectacle of him. But he made a new spirit on the inside of you. Now it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're not the person you were born. The same person you were when you were born. You've been born again. You've given a new birth, a new name, a new nature on the inside of you. A new nature. Amen. This physical act of circumcision was a foreshadow or a picture of what God really wanted to do all along, which was a spiritual circumcision. 
to cut away that mess that came into our lives when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. You know, uh, a while back, it was actually a couple weeks ago, I, think I was journaling, and I was just asking God just some different things about today, actually. And um, Here's what I felt like he said to me. He said, the church has spent a lot of time talking about my resurrection, which is very important. No one can get saved without my resurrection. But I spent very little time talking about how they've been resurrected from the dead in the newness of life. And many of the church world don't even know it. They're waiting for a second resurrection, the one that comes and when, when he calls us all to heaven and our bodies, you know, we go back up there and, and, or come down here, whatever, <laughs> I guess, whatever, whatever. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but we have to be spiritually resurrected first before you're ever going to be physically resurrected. And Jesus was spiritually resurrected first, then physically resurrected. And we have to be too. He said this after that. He said, old things have passed away or died. All things have become new. You have become new. Your nature has become new. Your spirit has become new. Your life has become new. So that you may walk in newness of life. You can't walk in newness of life unless the old has been totally removed. You can't walk in newness of life unless the old life is dead. I was talking to, uh, I'll repeat this part again, the last part again. You can't walk in newness of life unless the old has been totally removed. You can't walk in newness of life unless the old life or the old man is dead. Do you think God knew that? Think he knew that? Think he factored that into their salvation plan? I think he did. Let me tell you a story. Holly's uh, grandfather, he was uh, named Sidney Healy. He went by Sid. And uh, when he was 33 years old, his mother, Catherine, was very sick. She was 72 at the time. The doctors came into the house back when they had house calls. They came into the house and checked her and could tell she wasn't doing very good at all, didn't think she had long to live. And so they gave her some kind of shot. They think it was uh, possibly adrenaline. I don't know if they did that back then, but I think that's, that's what he thought it was. But it didn't help her, and, the, and she, she died shortly after that. So her, her, dad, her grandfather, Sid, was very sad. I think his dad was already passed away, I believe. And um, he was raised by his mom, mostly. And even though she was 72, he's 33, he's like, God, I don't want my mom to die. Will you bring her back? Will you bring her back? And he's praying, he's praying, and shortly, he's praying for just a short amount of time. Next thing you know, she sat up in bed. Doctor there, so he had already pronounced her dead. There was family there crying and stuff. She sat up. But guess what? She wasn't happy. She's like, she's clearly irritated. She goes, who did that? Who did that? Who called me back here? Who was, who was, was it you? Who was it? She was really upset. And Sid's like, mm, <laughs> I didn't want to say, but it was him. But he didn't really, I don't know if he really fully believed it was going to happen or not. But she's like, I was in heaven. I was in, why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? I was in heaven. And he's like, I didn't want you to go. I, I didn't want you to go. So anyway, Holly's great-grandmother, Catherine, she lived another three years. But she was miserable. Uh, one, she missed heaven. She, knew, she got a glimpse of it, didn't want to be back. But two, she was still sick and in pain. What killed her was still in her body. He didn't pray for her to be healed or anything. She hadn't been healed. And so three years later, she died from the same thing she died with when she was 72. She died again the same way in 75. And just like Catherine, Holly's great-grandmother, if we're only raised to life, but the deadness is not cut out of us, we, couldn't be any, we wouldn't be any better off than we were before. If somebody died of cancer, okay, and we prayed for them to be raised from the dead, they're physically raised from the dead, but they still had cancer, guess what? They're probably going to die again in a short time later. 
And that's what Jesus did for us. He cut out the cancer. Our sin nature is worse than any type of cancer, any type of anything. He cut out that sin nature of death and decay and all the darkness, all that kind of He cut it out of us and took it out of the way and dumped it and left it in hell as he became sin for us. Amen. Um, it, was, it, was, it was made, we were made, we were made spiritually dead before because the wages of sin was death. But Jesus raised us from the dead, translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And now we can walk in newness of life in him. Amen. Amen. Um, let me close with this. I want to say this before I read this too, but Jesus cut out the cancer. He cut out that sin and death and raised you and me to newness of life. I know we all hate cancer. We all hate that. Well, God hates sin too. And he cut it out of us. That's why he doesn't see it when he looks at you anymore. He sees your new nature. Let me show you one more verse here, then we'll close and we'll have communion together. Romans 6. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should also walk in newness of life. What did he just say there? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism. So we were buried with him. Into death, we died. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we're raised from the dead so we can walk in newness of life. You see that? Even so. That's what he's talking about. Now verse 5. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, in the way that he died, we died with him, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. King James Version says destroyed. That we should be no longer slaves of sin, for he who has died has been set free from sin. Amen. And I'm, I, I, praise God. I don't know how we miss this sometimes. I really don't. But you don't have a sin nature anymore. You have excuses or you have ignorance, or you're, not, you're just unaware, you were told the wrong thing, you believed the wrong thing, but Christ's resurrection was our resurrection. He said if he wasn't resurrected, then we would be, our faith would be futile, and we'd still be in our sins. But since he was, it wasn't futile, and we're not in our sins anymore. We don't live in that greenish, blackish bottle anymore. We live in the new, newness of life in Christ. Amen. We've been raised to life. All things have been made new. We become new. Our natures become new. Our spirits have been made new. Our life has been made new through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection was your resurrection and my resurrection. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion together as a family. Elders, you guys come on up here and prepare the table, please. Takes a whole other meaning when you sing that up from the grave he arose, huh? It made you think of all those other two, three hundred, or four hundred, five hundred people that were raised with him. So we believe that we've been raised also. Amen. I'll say this too the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. Amen. He could have walked right through the stone, he could have flicked it away with his pinky. The angels rolled it away so we could look in. 
We can see the tomb's empty. We can see he's not there anymore. He don't look for the living among the dead. He's not here. He's alive. Amen. And I tell you the same thing. Stop looking for your life among the dead. Don't look in those graves and the past stuff of, of deadness to find your life. Your life's hidden in Christ. Don't look in the tomb. Look, at it, look to him. You're alive in him. Amen. You're alive in him. God, we thank you that for the resurrection of Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection of us, your children. We've been raised from the dead. To we can walk in newness of life in you. I thank you, God. He who the Son has the Son has life. He does not have the Son does not have the life. And God, we just right now take this time to remember all that you did, all you accomplished for us, in us, and through us by your death, burial, and resurrection. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and quickens our flesh, made us alive with you. God, we just set these elements aside right now from common use to holy use. I pray for revelation to be released. Revelation to be released of why we're doing this why we're doing this we're not doing this to remember our sins it's the complete opposite of what the bible teaches it's 100 percent opposite of what it teaches we're doing this to remember our sins and all his deeds he remembers no more he took it out of the way we don't live there anymore we don't live in sin sin doesn't live in us it's been cut out taken out by the hand of christ we now are considered clean and holy through the covenant we now have with christ and these are holy signs and seals of our new covenant of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.